hey, there's this awesome restaurant you should try. By the way, you have to travel across the world to get to it. Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, a man who thinks a safety squeeze is something he does after too many Doritos Locos tacos, my brother Mike. Uh, you know what? I read that uh, a couple hours ago, and that's still hilarious. You know what's funny? That's, that's maybe the best one you've ever done. It came to me in Spain, and I had to write it down, and then I went back to it like, oh, this is gold, and it just I started laughing again the second time. It was so gold. That was very... I, I mean, I, honestly, as you know, I'm a fast food junkie, but I do not actually eat Taco Bell. Um but that is hilarious. A safety squeeze. That is fantastic. And who's brave uh, enough to eat a Doritos Locos Tacos? That's like, that's insane <laughs> to me. I just, when Taco Bell they, came out with it, I remember, and I just remember thinking, no one is going to eat that. But they must because they keep selling it. So, you know, we live in crazy times. You know somebody's eating it. Um, I Still on the menu. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is America. Somebody's eating that. Uh, anyway, on this week's episode, we'll break down a stellar, that's right, a stellar week from the Royal of Kansas City Royals, discuss how the lineup is shaping up for 2024 and preview the final week of the 2023 season. Mike, how are you feeling about this all winding down 2023 in the books almost? Feeling great. We can't lose. We can't lose. <laughs> I feel great about the team. Um, no, it's, it's, I mean, it, when I look at the last week or two looks fantastic. When I look at the the whole year it still looks pretty, pretty bad. Like it's almost a classic Royals season. Out of it extremely early, played well, played better in the second half, but still looks terrible. Yeah, it, yeah, but you know, uh, I, I no matter what, I some, there's still something inside me that's like you know, even if the baseball is losing baseball, getting a chance to watch it just makes me feel like yay! I always look forward to it every day. Uh, I told my partner Riggs, you know, we getting back from Spain, things have been really crazy and hectic, and I haven't had time to like literally just sit and watch the game. And that's like the only thing I'm doing since I got back. And so I told her, Hey, before the season is out, I want at least one more night where I'm just sitting in front of this television, watching Royals baseball. And so hopefully I get one of that during the Yankee series or what do we got next Detroit, I think. And so, uh, yeah, but I'm, I'm excited for the next six games. Got six left, six fun nights. Let's hope. I want to remind everyone to follow us on social media. Why? Because we'll be talking about a lot of stuff during the off season on there. Okay. We'll be talking about trades. We'll be talking about signings. We'll be talking about personnel stuff. We'll be talking about all sorts of stuff on social media. So follow us on Twitter or what is now called X. Don't even get me started. Follow Mike on threads. We are on Instagram. We're on TikTok now. We're on TikTok. I'm going to try and make up some videos for TikTok and YouTube. Uh, We're on YouTube. So subscribe there. Make sure you're following us on all the social medias because we are going to put out some content during this offseason. Also, I want to remind you that Royals Weekly is brought to you by All In Physical Therapy. For one-on-one personalized physical therapy, we choose All In Physical Therapy. They took excellent care of our mother after surgery left her with pain and limited mobility in her arm. She likes to work out, be active. The Terminator is basically just a biopic about my mother, Mm -hmm. okay? Yeah, that's <laughs> mom in her mid thirties. The excellent specialized care she got at all in physical therapy had her back to being active in no time. The only thing is Arnold didn't quite capture the ruthlessness of our mother. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's kind of who know, can who though, can I mean. nobody. All in physical therapy knows how to help athletes recover. It's owned and operated by Lisa its own Tommy Freebert, a former Arena League football player, Northwest Missouri State Bearcat, and a hell of a guy. They have offices in both Blue Springs and Lee Summit, so get over there to work with Tommy. 
Tell your doctor you want to do your physical therapy with the best of the best at All In Physical Therapy. To learn more, give them a call at 816-427-5300. That's 816-427-5300. Or visit their website at allin-pt.com. That's A-L-L-I-N-PT.com. Also want to throw out that the All In Physical Therapy is hosting a cornhole tournament that we're going to be sponsoring. It's a fundraiser for a scholarship for students going through PT school. If you want to come out and play, challenge Mike and I to a game of cornhole, uh, go to their Facebook page and or give them a call about this cornhole tournament they're hosting. We're hoping to see a lot of weekly weirdos out there challenging us to some cornhole. We'll be out there. We'll start the review of last week with roster news. There was actually quite a bit of it. It was just a lot, of, a lot of stuff going on this last week. Uh, it started with a weird, and I didn't start with a weird one, but there was a weird one that I thought was interesting that we should talk about. And that is Daniel Lynch went out on a rehab assignment to AAA Omaha and made a start. I watched the game he started in. Uh, Mike, what are your thoughts on them send, sending Daniel Lynch out on a rehab assignment with, I mean, the minor league season is now over. He got one start in AAA and that's it. What are your thoughts on that? That's extremely interesting to me because I feel like if you truly believe in Daniel Lynch and you truly think he's, you know, cemented himself in the rotation for next year or somebody that you can really, really build with, you probably just shut him down. You don't you don't send him back out there for a single start and possibly, you know, the opportunity to get hurt. Now, I will say with some of the other people the Royals have called up, I'm sure they're thin in the starting rotation in Omaha. But this seems kind of weird to me. And it may be something to say like, hey, Daniel Lynch, you haven't shown anything. We still need to see what you what you have going into next year before we can make a plan for you, before we can count on you to be in our rotation or before we can count on you, period. So very interesting move from the the Royals here. Yeah, I'm not sure why they did this. I, I just I don't know what the upside of seeing one start from Daniel Lynch is, honestly. Like, I don't know what where the upside is in that at all. I mean. Yes, there is a lot of stuff he needs to work on. I think they know that. I hope he knows that because they should be developing a plan based on some of the stuff he's done in Major League Baseball. But until he starts improving the arsenal, until he starts just working on stuff, it really doesn't matter what he's doing in AAA at this point. And so, you know, not really sure why they sent him out on a rehab start for one start. Makes no sense to me. But we'll see what they do with him in this offseason and coming into next year because that's what's really going to matter. They don't have the money probably to go out and the free agent market is not good enough to just go out and completely revitalize the starting rotation. They'll need a couple of people to step up and that could be Daniel Lynch and it could be somebody like Alec Marsh or, you know, Angel Zerpa or something like that. But it's, you know, whatever it is, it's gotta be somebody. Speaking of pitchers who have somewhat disappointed or extremely disappointed, uh, Brady Singer and Brad Keller were both shut down for the year. Singer with a lumbar strain. He had like a, they were put on the IL. Keller with thoracic outlet syndrome. Uh, in their place, Anthony Veneziano and, and Jonathan Bolin were called up to the major leagues. I believe Veneziano had to be put on the 40-man roster as part of that process. So he is now a, a member of the 40-man roster. Bolin already was. Mike, what are your thoughts on Veneziano and Bolin being called up to the major leagues? Well, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think either of them have pitched, have they? No, I don't think so. Yeah, so not not a whole lot to see there. I I, th- I would like to see Viniciano go. I'd like to see both of them go at some point in these last six games. Uh, I would be surprised if either one of them does start a game. Maybe like piggyback with Zach Grinke on Monday. I could see one of them doing that. Or not Monday, um, Tuesday. Tuesday, I think, is when they start the series. Yeah. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but but uh, I could see one of them going that during that uh, that start. And then maybe piggybacking with Marsh or something like that. 
later on. But, uh, you know, I think we need to see both of them. I think they both start in AAA next year, but I think they're both in spring training and they're probably one and one a to get called up. If they show something during spring training or early on in the AAA season, Singer and Keller, you know, Singer being shut down is completely fine with me. His velocity had dipped and he was getting hit hard because of it. You know, you and I have said this a bunch in the past because he only really effectively throws two pitches. If his velocity isn't good, if his command isn't good, if, if everything doesn't go, when everything goes right for him, he can shut down a lineup, but everything has to go right or he's going to get hit. And that's what we've seen for the last month and a half with him. And, and that's a little bit disappointing as far as Keller goes. I hope this is the thing. Like, I hope like, Oh, he just had thoracic outlet syndrome. He'll have a surgery and he can rebuild his career. And I hope it's not something else. I hope it's just that. And he gets back at it. Obviously that'll be with another team probably, but um, I hope for the best for Brad Keller. Uh, what other team would have him at this point? I, I don't, I don't know if that's the case. I think it's oh somebody uh, after the surgery, somebody might sign him to a minor league deal after well, the surgery. Yeah, I can yeah. see that. Oh, I think somebody would sign him to a minor league deal, but I think it makes a lot more sense for the Royals to do that. I think the Royals are the team that would sign him to a minor league deal. And so, you know, I, I think they know more about him than any other team. They know more about his health. They know more about his profile. They know more about it. Now he may want to change a change of scenery, but you know, who knows on that front? Yeah, thoracic outlet syndrome, you're right. He better hope that that's what's been causing all this because if it's the other stuff that it looks like it might be, he's in trouble. And so I really want to see Anthony Veneziano get some pitching time. I don't know in what capacity. I think the piggybacking a, a Granky is actually a really good idea for him because he is so different than Granky. Uh, if, if either Veneziano or Bolin takes a significant step forward this offseason, both of them could, at least potentially, vie for a starting rotation spot in next year's spring training, especially if the Royals aren't able to significantly add via trade or free agency in the offseason, because honestly, this this rotation is so unset right now that it makes no sense not to give those guys opportunities, especially if they start showing like a new pitch that's really good or, or they've taken a big step forward with command or something. Uh, either one of those guys could uh, potentially vie for a back end, end spot for the Royals. Uh, there have been some sh- catcher shenanigans the last week. Fermin was moved to the 60-day IL with a broken finger. That opened up a roster spot for Veneziano. Uh, Salvi went on the seven-day concussion list after he took a foul ball off the mask. That brought Tyler Cropley up to the major leagues. And, of course, Logan Porter was already there. So for there for a few five days or so, it was Tyler Cropley, or actually seven days, it was Tyler Cropley and Logan Porter as the Royals' top two catchers. Who would have seen that coming? Uh, but now Salvi is back. He came back in the game today and hit a home run. Cropley was then optioned. Mike, what are your thoughts on all the catcher movement we're seeing? A cool thing for Tyler Cropley, a guy that I think a lot of people may have suggested was never going to make it to Major League Baseball. Um, so good for him. Got in there, showed some competence catching. I, I like watching Logan Porter. I think he's shown that he can be a at least average major league catcher defensively. Although I think you probably want to see a little bit more at the bat, but I think that's kind of something we will see eventually. Uh, but no, really mostly just cool for Tyler Cropley, cool for Logan Porter to get some time in major league baseball. And uh, now it's good to have Salvi back. Yeah. And Cropley, I was, it was great to see him. I went to a game that he caught, I think. And, and I was actually impressed with, uh, with his work behind the plate. He is a pretty good defensive catcher, it looks like. And so maybe he can, if he gets lucky, work out a grind out a career as a, as a major league backup at some point. It won't hurt to show other teams that he can handle the bat enough to to be put on the roster. 
Uh, he did get his first major league hit and his first major league RBI. So good for him. The great thing about this is it, I think it's showing us that the Royals have the depth to move on from Salvador Perez if they want to. If they want to trade him in the offseason, it looks like Fermin and Porter will be enough depth between the two of them to allow us to, you know, have a competent and and even above average catching pool, I think. And so, you know, that's great. And plus, you know, Kale Emshoff has been doing some decent things with the bat down in AAA or down in the minor leagues anyway. And so, you know, who knows if we even have guys like Cropley or, or Emshoff who could, you know, catch in a pinch for us too, if, if need be. Uh, on the player side, one other personnel move that's not really worth diving into. Matt Beatty was DFA'd, that's designated for assignment, and then was outrighted to Omaha. So he's down in AAA with the Royals again. Uh, I did want to talk a little bit about front office personnel moves because the Royals made a significant one. Uh, they lost Gene Watson to uh, the Chicago White Sox, who was a member of their front office. And just as that happened, they also hired Brian Bridges as the new director of scouting for the Kansas City Royals. Previously, Bridges had held a similar position with the Braves. Last year, he was holding a scouting position with the Giants, I think, for the last couple of years. He oversaw something like four drafts for the Braves, and some people consider them pivotal ones to uh, the current success the Braves are having. Mike, what are your thoughts on the hire of Brian Bridges for the front office, director of scouting? Well, I've, I've only heard, I mean, I don't know anything about Brian Bridges, but I've only heard positive things from other people's reaction, including some people that I very much respect in the baseball community. And so that's always a positive to hear. The The one comment that I heard that is that is, I guess, something that I like to hear, especially from a scouting guy, is that when he handled the drafts in Atlanta, he did a nice mixture of scouting profile stuff, traditional scouting stuff and analytics, and that he wasn't married to either, either one of those two things, but like to use both in decision-making. I think if you in modern major league baseball, if you're a person who thinks you're going to get by just with the old school scouting, you're going to lose a lot of, a lot of value on the margins. And that's, not something the Royals can ever afford to do again. Yeah, actually, I'm thinking it's the exact opposite. I'm thinking if you do, if you if you work without like a analytics and a model, you're probably going to lose value at the center. And then if you try and work without scouting, you'll lose value at the margins. You're going to miss out on guys like Michael Massey if you if you if you're not working the scouting angle. If you're if you're or um, uh, Vinny Pasquantino is is too, very much to me a scouting pick, a guy who a scout knows that the back injuries would drop him down and can watch him take at bats and see him really grind at bats really well. Like, and so, yeah, I, I really like this hire. I think you're right. It's great to have a mixture of both scouting and analytics. It also, people are asking, what does this mean for Danny Antavares and, and Lonnie Goldberg? And people are like, oh, reports came out at the same time that both of those two will still be with the Royals and fans were a little disappointed. This move to me feels a little bit like I don't know, addition by promotion in some ways, right? So I think they promoted on Tavares, but I think the idea was get him out of, of being responsible for the draft. And I think Bridges is going to take on that role because you saw what looks right now like a big miss in this year's draft. You've just seen last year's draft. Gavin Cross is not, is not looking super strong in the early round at least. And so, you know, I think they wanted to get somebody who might be able to handle the draft with a little bit more, uh, taking the route that looks like analytics say you should take, if that makes sense. Anyway, we'll see on that one. Uh, on the field, it was a perfect week for the Kansas City Royals. They went 6-0, and which brings their overall record to 54-102. and Very successful week. They started it by sweeping division rival Cleveland Guardians and then ended it by sweeping the Houston Astros. That's right. 
an undefeated week, six and zero, oh, six game winning streak on the backs of sweeping the Houston Astros. Mike, what are your thoughts on last week in Royals baseball? A perfect week. I don't even know if we've had one yet. Yeah, because they had a seven game winning streak at one point, but I'm not sure that that was one entire week. Anyway, what do you think about last week? Well, it, you know, Kansas City Royals fans, we love to be like the the fly in the ointment, I guess you might say, or the the you know turd in the punch bowl, you know, like <laughs> we love to be the, uh, we love to be the spoiler at the end of the season. Cause we, you know, we've lost a hundred games already. What do we care? What do we you know? class it up? But here, we Mike. get to Way to class it up, buddy. I know. Right. You're welcome. Doritos Locos Tacos. <laughs> um, we love to be the spoiler at the end of a season when we've already lost a hundred games. It's fantastic. And so it was really fun. And like, just watching that game today and watching them just cling to that lead and just hope and fight. Why? Why fight? Just to fuck with the Houston Astros. Just to put it in their faces, you cheating bastards. All right. Yeah, it's going off the rails today, people. All right. And it was fantastic. Just to see the look on Jose Altuve's face. That's why. Okay. Uh, so it was good to see that. And uh, the trash can ain't walking through that door. And it's weird because there were games we... That's right. Yeah. Get that trash can out of here. All right. Um, no, it was great because at least one of those Houston games, we did not play well, even <laughs> we ended up winning the damn thing. And so, uh, yeah, it was, it was good to see. I've actually been particularly surprised or impressed by the coaching staff. It's one thing to have the lineup go off and start hitting well and things like that, which you can attribute to some degree to the hitting coaching staff. Right, because you look at and they're taking better at bats, they're walking more. We're going to talk a little bit about that offense during the spotlight segment. But the way in which the coaching staff is utilizing and managing a very bad starting rotation and very bad bullpen well enough to win games, it's incredible in my mind. I mean, I know coach of the year always goes to a team that wins, but Matt Quattrero, Brian Sweeney have just been doing phenomenal work this last, this whole month, really, to keep this, to make a if there was a second half one, yeah, yeah, to make what is a not even below average, just uh, dregs of Major League Baseball pitching staff to make them look even average has been an incredible job by them. And so, you know, that's really one of the things that's driving the winning. And it's great to see uh, st- some strong performers are also driving the winning. Mike, who is your strong performer for this week? Tell, tell me who, uh, who who set the world on fire. It's Nelson Velasquez. It's it's Nelly Nukes. It's it's the guy that I sent you a text about today. I said, is he secretly uh, Barry Bonds? People are saying, people are saying Nelson Velasquez is Barry Bonds. Because, and, and then I thought right before we came on, I don't even know how well he runs the bases because he just jogs them the whole time. <laughs> like, that's all he does is hit home runs and jog around the bases. Unbelievable get for Jose Quas. Unbelievable. Um, and me and uh, Josh Kaiser of uh, uh, Run One Royal Way uh, tech, uh, did a little Twitter thing back and forth about this. It was, it's insane. Five for 22, four home runs and a double. Every hit he had was an extra base hit. Uh, three walks for him. Very good in a week and six strikeouts. Six strikeouts is about what you're going to expect for Nelson Velasquez in a week. And three walks is if he's getting three walks with it. Oh my God. What a week. Um, the guy hit two today, hit two home runs today, effortless power. Like we haven't seen since, and they, people have been comparing him kind of to Bo Jackson. I don't know. Maybe Jorge Soler, although Soler had a lot of effort in his mm-hmm. swing. Um, but that's the kind of power we're talking about here. And two opposite field home runs today. Just, just unbelievable. If he does this next year, 
the Royals killed the trade deadline this year. Killed it. Yeah, Velasquez has been nothing but impressive. And if, if you're asking me, who who do you compare him to for effortless power? How about Salvador Perez, who also hits the ball extremely hard and extremely far without seemingly swinging out of his shoes uh, very often? And so now the effortless power from Velasquez is really impressive. He went both those home runs today, opposite field home runs. Uh, really, really great to see him. Just you're right. Jose Quas for Nelson Velasquez looks like a damn thievery right now. Looks like something, you know. Out of a, out of a cat burglar mystery or some shit because he is just it looks like a video something you do in a video yeah, game that's what it to looks cheat. like yes you would have to cheat like. you have to turn like <laughs> trade restrictions or whatever off in order to get the them to accept this trade because and he looks like a heart of the order bat for them in 2024 and we'll talk a little bit about that here in a second my strong performer for the week has also been hitting well it's Drew Waters. He went five for 14 with three doubles, two walks, and three strikeouts. And I looked at his numbers the other day and put out a tweet about this. So make sure you're following us on Twitter for this type of really sharp analysis. Uh, the interesting thing about Waters is the second half, his his um, strikeout rate has come down significantly. So he was go- he was striking out at something like 36 uh, percent before the trade deadline. Since the trade deadline, it's down to like 27, which is playable with the kind of power that he has. And his walk rate is up to about 10 to 12 percent, something like that, uh, over that time. And if he can do that, he can be an everyday player. We know he plays well enough in center field to play there every single day. He can be the number one center fielder and Kyle Isbell can rotate in. That's fine. But it looks like Drew Waters may have taken the step forward necessary to be at the very least an average hitter in Major League Baseball who can then play a good center field. And that's a very good player for you, a very valuable player for you. So it was nice to see a solid week from him. He's doing a lot to help this winning streak that they got going. A couple guys did not do a ton to help the winning streak this week. Mike, who was your week performer for the week? Nick Prado is all getting to the point. It's hard to watch at the major league level. Like the strikeouts are unbelievably high. And then when he does get hits, it's like seeing I single or bloop single. He went two for 15 this week, zero extra base hits, eight strikeouts to just to no walks. He didn't walk one time. And you and I have talked about this. The value of a Nick Prado with no power and that much strikeouts is not good. And so you got Vinny Pasquantino coming back at the beginning of next year. I don't see a spot for Nick Prado on this team next year, especially now that Nelson Velasquez, who you're probably playing at DH quite a bit. If Salvi's around, you you certainly don't have one because there's not enough DH spots and first base spots to put all those guys. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. If Nelson Velasquez is out and right, maybe you got first base and Vinny DHs for you, but do you want him at first with, that power profile of nothing here, with an ISO of 86 or whatever it is. Here's the thing. He's a first base only too. It's not like he can give you versatility off the bench and play some third base or some out. I mean, I guess he can technically play the outfield, but he's not good at it. And so we've, we've been saying this for a few months now, or at least I have like the strikeout number is too high. And that's not even the thing that concerns me the most. It's the near complete lack of power. It's the fact that his power right now is playing like Michael Garcia power. And that's not going to do it for a first baseman. You can't strike out 35% of the time and not hit for any power. It just doesn't work at the major league level. And so I don't know what the answer is for him. Maybe some offseason training uh, to get the back, bat speed up or something. I'm not exactly sure, but he needs an answer to help increase the amount of power that he's the, the amount of power he's getting out of his bat because it's not good enough for a major league first baseman right now. 
My week performer also has not hit well enough, not just this last week, but all season. We rallied around him a little bit when he turned it around a little, but Michael Massey has just not shown that he uh, has earned an everyday second base spot. He went three for 17 last week with a double, one walk, and three strikeouts. I wondered when he saw when he had that turnaround. I remember saying this on one of our episodes. It's great that he's had this turnaround, but we still have to ask, is it enough, right? Like, is it enough to be everyday second baseman? And I I just don't know that it is at this point. Maybe he works on some stuff and comes back and is, you know, even better next year. And and it looks like he has earned an everyday spot. But until then, it's got to be some sort of a rotation because you like the glove at second, but I want an offensive second baseman too. You have to at least hit major league average to play second base in my mind. And he hasn't done that up to this point. So we'll see on him. Hoping for the best for him, as always. But uh, last week was not his most shining moment. On to the themes for the week, which we have now decided are always going to be movie quotes or song quotes or something like that. Mike, what did you come up with a theme for this week? Well, mine, I believe, is the name of a band. Although this is always dicey because I've never actually heard the band that I know of anyway. Uh, they might be Giants. Is that That's a band. I think I it is. It, it sounds like one. Um, yeah, and so I and that's the thing I'm wondering is is this the Royals team we get in uh April next year, the one from September this year. Now obviously there will be very different things, but does this offense look the way that it has cuz the offense I don't expect to change a whole lot. Will they look the way that they have or will they start out in a incredible malaise like they did last like they did this year? Um or do we see that step that Bobby Witt Jr took in here in the last half of the season, does he continue to do that? This step that MJ has taken for the last couple of months, does he do that? You know, those types of things. Do we see Nelly uh, get out there and do what he's doing in April next year when he starts the season with the Royals? And so those are my things. They might be giants or they might not be. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they always want to get your hopes up. Yeah. And, you know, I would hope, and we can all hope like that this just carries over into uh into next year but as we saw this year so many things can happen so many things can happen um (laughs) my theme for this week is actually taken from two one is taken from a song and one is taken from a tv show slash book series uh and the first part of it is say what you need to say a john mayer classic and the second part of it is but words are wind okay that's from game of thrones I want this is my way of shoehorning in a conversation about the comments that JJ Piccolo made this week. He did this interview with 610 and and people were a little bit surprised at how candid he seemed about the team's intention to add pitching in the offseason. He essentially said, "Hey, we had some guys this year on the pitching staff who didn't get off the ground the way we hoped, uh and we're going to hope for a bounce back from them, but we're not going to count on it. We're going to go out there and add pitching to to make this team better." And I was like, "Hmm, I like the candor. I like the idea. You and I have been advocating for this for for months now. Uh, but, you know, until you show me, words are wind. You know, words are wind. And and there's a difference between going out and, and doing something to make your pitching staff better and going out and, like, signing a guy like Jordan Lyles. There's a difference between those two things, okay? You know, I need the Royals to actually do something to make their pitching staff better, not go out and sign a Jordan Lyles, if that makes sense. Royals Weekly is brought to you by Knapp Family Wealth. Mike, can you think of anything more important than securing your financial future? Yeah, avoiding Doritos Locos Tacos. <laughs> well, yeah, that might be true because that's, that'll help ensure you have a future. Uh, but securing your financial future is one of the most important steps <laughs> someone can take for themselves and their family, and Knapp Family Wealth is ready to help you pursue it. 
This isn't some big faceless corporation we're talking about here. Knapp Family Wealth is run by JC Knapp. He's a huge baseball fan and he's been helping people plan for their financial futures for 20 years. He can help with retirement planning so you don't have to work until you're dead, education planning so your kids learn to read good, investment management so you can get all that money from out of your mattress and get it working for you. Don't spend another day thinking you've got it all figured out because trust me, you don't. Check out Knapp Family Wealth at knappfamilywealth.com. That's K-N-A-P-P familywealth.com. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA slash SIPC. For this week's spotlight segment, we got to talk about the Royals lineup and it's taking shape because after this season of dreadful results, the Royals are finally looking like they have a lineup that might be decent in 2024. We've talked a little bit about that. If they keep this going, they might look decent next year. The season started slow for a lot of their hitters, but lately it's looking like they have a few guys progressing in the way we hoped they would to start the season. That combined with a few additions to the roster has allowed the Royals to score the sixth most most runs in September with 115, with the fourth highest batting average at 267, the eighth highest OBP at 338, and the ninth highest slugging at 440. Basically, they've been a top 10 offense in September. Mike, what do you attribute this surge in offensive production to? I think if you're looking for one thing, if you're looking for like a linchpin reason why has the offense been better in September... I think it's because MJ Melendez has been a little bit better. And I know that sounds weird. Like how could it, and it's not just one guy, but I think when you already had Bobby Witt Jr. doing pretty well, when you had some other guys who are kind of on and off hot and cold, and a couple of them will get hot and the others will get cold. It, it took one more guy to be a little bit more stable. And that one guy has been MJ Melendez, especially with the ability to get on base. And so, yes, don't get me wrong. Garcia and Olivares have have been hitting very well in, in uh, September. Um, Velasquez has been a revelation in the last month or since really since we got him. Uh, but I think if you had to point to one thing, I think I'm going with MJ Melendez and perhaps if he can hang on to these adjustments and carry them into next year, a really stable part of your lineup moving forward. And what's interesting about this surge in offensive production relative to others is this isn't all about batted ball success for them. They're actually having better plate appearances that are also leading to more walks. So in that time period in September, they're also 14th in Major League Baseball in walks, which if you know the Royals, they're not 14th for the whole season. They're just never 14th. Happens. No, never happens, yeah. right? They're 14th in walks at 8.8%. And a lot of that has to do with guys like Melendez taking more walks. Even Olivares has been taking more walks. Notoriously free swinger. Since he's come back up from Omaha, he had a 10% walk rate when I looked the other day since coming back from Omaha. That's crazy for Edward Olivares. That's like, imagine if Salvador Perez walked 10% of the time. Nuts, okay? Uh, that's what Edward Olivares has been doing lately. And he's been really hot. You know, but and you got guys like Garcia who have some patience at the plate. Bobby Wood Jr. has been taking some more walks. The fact that it's that, it's on the back of more patience and better plate appearances, gives me a little bit of hope, gives me a little bit of encouragement that this could actually just be the maturation of their lineup rather than, oh, they've they've had collectively had some fluky batted ball success, so they're scoring some runs. Let's talk a little bit about the lineup because going into 2024, we're going to want to know who's set in there and who might they still have to replace or get in some sort of rotation. Mike, who in this lineup do you think should be considered a lock to get every day at bats in 2024? I think it's going to be Bobby. Now, these are the people I think are going to be everyday locks because the Royals want them to be everyday locks. This isn't necessarily who I would have every day, 
but I think Bobby's for sure. That's an obvious one. MJ, I think, has now earned an everyday position to start the year. Nelly has uh, certainly got to find a way to put that bat in there if he keeps doing what he's doing. I think Garcia has done enough with the bat considering his glove, but I think, you know, I think his glove is so good. His bat is has been good enough. Uh, Vinny is obvious, I think, as well. Once he's back from injury, he's he's in there. The thing that gets me, and this is the last one I'll mention, I think maybe Michael Massey, and not necessarily because I would consider him a lock, but I think the Royals will, and I think part of the reason they will is because of a lack of a better option. I don't think that they think Samad Taylor is a better option there. I don't think they have another place. I don't think they're going to want to put Garcia there and have somebody better to put in th- at third. I I don't know that there's another option other than Michael Massey, you know. So I think he's kind of a lock just because he has to be. No, Does that makes sense. Unless you have a better alternative, tell I me do. tell me the better alternative to Michael Massey. I do. Uh, the alternative is a rotation with Nick Lofton and and, and other guys, and so uh, I don't think Massey has earned a spot. I, my list disagrees with yours just a little bit. Now, obviously, I didn't put Salvi on my list either because I my anticipation is attempt to trade him, but he would be a lock as well. Um, Bobby Witt Jr. is obviously on my list. MJ on my list, which I thought about that one quite a bit. I didn't know if I was ready to make him a lock, but I went ahead and did it just because I think they're going to think of him as a lock. Nelly Nukes, obviously a lock to me. Vinny is a lock for the lineup. I also put Freddie Fermin. I think he did enough with the bat and the glove to earn lock status in this lineup. Besides, if Salvi's not in there, you, you need a catcher and he's going to be your, your catcher, I think. Um, but yes, I don't think Garcia is a lock at second base either or at third base. I think a rotation involving Garcia, Nick Lofton, Michael Massey between second and third base makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, and maybe even some other veteran that they pick up in some way, not Matt Duffy, but a Matt Duffy like player who maybe could just hit one side of the plate or something Boy, like that. I, I looked at that uh, earlier today. I looked at the free agency options weak. for that. It's real woof. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. Uh, but you know. Some sort of option, you know, to to get other guys in there because I don't think I am like the lowest on Garcia of any Royals fan. Now that's not because I don't think he's good or I don't like him. It's just because look at his actual numbers, man. Like he has been well below league average as a hitter. Okay, and so I don't know what we're talking about when we say like, oh, he's great. Well, his glove is great, sure, and that adds value. But you got to be a hitter if you're going to play third base and second base in my mind. And so you know, I don't know about Garcia, but. I got Bobby, MJ, Nelly, Vinny, and Fermin as my locks for the lineup, assuming Salvador Perez isn't there. If he is, then I'll put him in as a lock as well. Other than a lock, there should be some rotational bats. Mike, who do you think will fit into the role of rotational bats for the Royals in 2024? Well, that's that's where I slide in, Nick Lofton. Um, and then I think Kyle. there's a chance that both Kyle Isbell and Drew Waters could end up as rotational pieces. Let me... One or the other or both. If they go out and get somebody to play center field for them, which I think is a small possibility, then they either one or the other becomes that fourth outfielder. Possibly even both. Maybe you keep a fifth outfielder because Waters can hit, can play right. He can, uh, he does switch hit. So you have that. And then, you know, Kyle Isbell can run a little bit. And so there is some value there, but I could see both of those guys kind of being rotational guys if they go out and get somebody else to play center field. I just, a la Kevin Kiermeyer. I just cannot imagine why they would go out and get a center fielder. It makes no sense to me, given how much they need pitching. If they're like, 
makes no sense to me. I mean, yeah. Oh yeah. I, I completely get that. Uh, they have, they have waters, they have Isbell together. Those two can make a competent center fielder, right? Like together, those two offensively and defensively make up one slight above average or slightly above average center fielder in major league baseball. And so I don't know why it makes any sense to go out in a very weak free agent market and look for a center fielder to spend way too much money on because it'll be inflated because the market's so bad. I think it's a really bad idea. Um, yeah, I think, I think, I think if they do it, what they're, the reason they're doing it is for offensive consistency. That's why if they choose to do it, I think that's why I, I makes no sense to me. Uh, anyway, I got Garcia as a rotational player on my, on my 2024 lineup. I also included Lofton, who I think will be one of the people who Garcia should uh, rotate with. Um, Isabel and Massey are also on mine. Uh, Waters, I would kind of consider, I don't know that I would call him a lock for the lineup, but in my mind, he's going to get most of the playing time in center field in 2024. And so I, I'm not going to call him a rotational bat either. I think rotational means your Massey, your Isabel, your Lofton, your Garcia, guys who aren't gonna gonna hit better than, you know, 100 to 110 situationally as a rotational player at best. And so those are those are the guys that I'm looking at. Now that we've sort of talked about those, what do you think should be done with the guys who are remaining? The guys we haven't talked about are like Edward Olivares, sometimes Drew Waters. Obviously, we haven't brought up Salvi a lot. Fermin, Porter, sometimes we haven't brought them up. Mike, what are your thoughts on what to do with the guys remaining? Well, I think I think Olivares and I think Salvi should be traded if you can go get good, solid starting pitching options for them. If, the, if you go into those winter meetings and somebody's willing to give you starting pitching options for either one of those guys, I think you have to, and maybe even good bullpen options. Maybe if you can get like elite bullpen options, then great. Um, then, then go ahead and do that too. For two reasons. If you go and get the elite bullpen options and say, well, why would you want an elite reliever on a team that doesn't have any starting pitching? Because at the trade deadline, you then flip them for starting pitching. So it's, you know, it's still valuable to your team, which we saw happen with the Araldis Chapman thing this year. But Olivares and Salvi, I, I think you have to look to trade them. Um, and if you do that, I think your offense does take a small step back. But if the return is pitching, it's very valuable. And you have some guys that can fill in those spots. Tyler Gentry can slide right in and take and have the value of an Edward Olivares probably right now. Now we, he hasn't done it at the major league level yet, but it looks like he's going to be fine. I'm okay with Freddie Fermin and, and Logan Porter catching. Uh, I think Porter has shown enough defensively to be able to be the backup catcher. I think Fermin for sure, you know, his defense is okay. Um, you hope that he, that he can do enough with the bat. I think he can. And so, yeah, I, th I do think, and we'll talk about this in a second, you have to be smart about going out and getting some depth pieces for this lineup. Um, but I, I think you have to do anything you can to get pitching. Yeah, and the one thing the Royals have is depth of bench players, versatile defensive guys. They have uh, a Dyron Blanco. They have a, a Samad Taylor. They have these various things that even if maybe we hope someday Samad Taylor would be good enough to play every day, we know could play on the bench right now. Like they have Logan Porters. They've got, so if you're going to lean into that, you have the room to move some of your marginal guys if you want to, or even like, like Edward Olivares. That outfield is too crowded now. It's way too crowded with Nelly Nukes and MJ Melendez and Drew Waters and Kyle Isbell and Dyron Blanco. And then they have Gentry coming up behind all these guys. And it's like, they need room in that outfield. All of RS has been hitting a lot lately. He's getting his season numbers up. 
he's showing a much better approach. There's maybe a team out there. There was an article out just the other day that had me excited saying the San Francisco Giants are looking for outfield hitters and they're willing to give up young pitching. And it's like, I know a guy, <laughs> I know a guy you can have right now. Like, uh, and so, you know, I don't he's know still why under they, control for like two still, or three more years. Yeah, he's got three years of control. He's a, he's in his prime hitting years right now. And honestly, he's a bad outfielder, but it's not like he doesn't have the athleticism to play the outfield. He's got like an 83rd percentile sprint speed and 80 some percentile arm. The guy can run and throw. He just needs to learn how to catch the damn ball. Like, it's tough, I guess. It's been tough for him, but you know, you never know. Maybe he hears a different voice and he becomes a better outfielder. Uh, at the very least, he's could he could hit for some team somewhere. And so go out and find that pitching for him. If some team is willing to take Salvi, do it. Because p- any kind of pitching that you can get for him will help get that contract off the books. Clear the clear the decks to go help yourself in other ways. You know what I'm saying? Uh Mike, mm-hmm. in terms of adding players, do you think the Royals should look to add anyone? to this offense, either within the system in trade or via free agency. Yeah, I, I do. And and you're, you just stated that you, you think Samad Taylor can be a, a bench player right now. I don't agree with that. Um, I do not think that he is ready for major league baseball. It doesn't mean he won't be at some point. I just don't think that the bat is there. The, the hard hit balls are there consistently enough to work in major league baseball right now. I would go out and look for a veteran infielder that is a bat first kind of guy. And my, the guy that flashed into my mind immediately was Ahmed Rosario. Um, he's had a really down year this year and he's not, you know, getting any younger. He's not super old. He's not in his thirties yet even. Uh, and so maybe that's, he's probably the best of your options, honestly, which is not, not great. So that's the free agent market right now. Uh, Ahmed Rosario is the best option you have for an off the bench bat. So I'd probably look for it via trade. Um, you know, if you can give up, maybe, maybe that's what you get back for Olivares. Now I know we're looking for pitching, but maybe you get pitching and a triple a infielder who, who, uh, has speed and gets on base. Okay. I'll take it. You know, you get a relief arm and that gold, but you need something to help. I think solidify the infield bats and give, you know, especially if Michael Massey can't do it. Like if he doesn't improve, you can't play him every day. You know, if, if Garcia doesn't, hit a little bit more. You may not want to play him every day and there's no guarantee Nick Lofton's going to be able to either. So a lot of, little bit of uncertainty there in the infield. As far as the lineup goes, I would, I would take one bat in the infield. No, uh, here's the, here's why here's a hundred reasons why you're wrong. <laughs> um, no, the thing is, this is really, really simple. Okay. The lineup is fine. Okay. If you're going to add, they should only add to the lineup from within. Make trades, but make them for pitching only, okay? Because they have enough for everything, right? Like they have enough center fielders. They have enough backup infielders. They have enough of that. I think they should bring Tyler Gentry up. I think they should trade Edward Olivares and then bring Tyler Gentry up to play the outfield. Let Nelly Nukes DH most of the time and then just get a rotation going with the outfielders. Maybe you have a fifth outfielder in Dyron Blanco or or Kyle Isbell or something like that. But I so like in the, your mind, then does Samad Taylor in your mind does Samad Taylor start the year as your, your bench infielder, your your utility guy? He certainly could because you have Michael Garcia who can play short, second, and third base, and so really Michael Garcia is your bench infielder. Samad Taylor can really only play second. He can also play outfield too. So there's some versatility in the along those lines. In fact, he played uh, center field 
in uh, the Omaha game the other day that I watched. And so there's, and Nick Lofton can also play second and third. And so you have some versatility with your infielders, which means your bench spot can go to somebody who doesn't play a ton of positions, but maybe has a little bit more upside in other ways. For Samad Taylor, it's base running. And yes, I think Samad Taylor does have a good enough bat. And so, yeah, I might put him on the bench, but I'm definitely not making trades or signing guys. I might sign somebody because it'll be super cheap anyway, maybe a minor league deal or something. Uh, but I'm not spending a lot of money or a lot of uh, player po- or prospect capital to bring in any sort of position player. Makes no sense. Use it all on pitching. Your pitching is the worst in baseball, probably. Use it all on pitching and then finally give Tyler Gentry a chance. That's my thing. The Royals start this week with an off day before heading to Detroit for a, the final a final series against Detroit, against the Tigers. That'll be an away series. Uh, then they'll head home for a three-gamer against the Yankees, and that's all she wrote. Mike, tell us about the Tigers for the final time this year. Ah, uh, the old Detroit Tigers, 73-83, and 83, third in the AL Central. They're saying their final uh, goodbyes to Miguel Cabrera right now, uh, future Hall of Famer. We don't know a ton about this uh, series because the Tigers haven't released probables and the Royals don't quite have, you know, kind of the end of the year stuff. So we know Granky's going to go in that first game on Tuesday. We don't have any probables for the game on Wednesday. And then Thursday is everybody's favorite day. It's Cole Reagan's day. The Tigers have no probables, so we have no clue. Uh, they're 27th in hitter F4. They have not gotten much from their uh, lineup this year. 19th in pitcher F4. Uh, I'm trying to think who are the guys that are kind of leading their rotation. Just, Eduardo um, Rodriguez is having a stellar year. Uh, that's about is it. His, is Mize back for them? I don't okay. know. Uh, Kerry Carpenter has emerged for them offensively, 128 OPS plus. Casey Mize was the number one pick a while back, had had some success in Major League Baseball, but I know he got hurt. I wasn't sure if he's back yet or not. Uh, Spencer Torkelson doesn't maybe look like he's doing all that much for them. He's having he's having a league uh, average season Austin hitter Green. for them. Green's doing uh, not. Uh, you mean Austin Riley? Green. You mean you mean Riley Green? Riley Green. He's Sorry, doing pretty Riley well. Green, I think yeah. he's 117 as an OPS plus for them. Okay, he's a pretty good center fielder too. Um, yeah, so rough, rough time for them. They're in full rebuild as well. So. After the Detroit Tigers, they're uh, coming back home for a three-game set against the Yankees. Uh, the Yankees are one game over 500 at 78 and 77, which is only good enough for fourth in the AL East. They'd probably have, will they have won the AL Central by now if, <laughs> if they had that record. I don't know. Uh, the Twins sewed it up the other day. They probably have a few games over 500. Uh, but the Yankees just have not had it this year. And you know what they're seeing? I noticed this as I was look, doing research on on this team. They're seeing the effects of paying one or two guys a whole bunch of money right now. So they have one guy who they paid a truckload of money, and he's crushing the ball. Everyone else sucks. Okay. They are 20th in or 21st in hitter F war. They're led by Aaron judge. Who's dominant with a 172 OPS plus, but everybody else in that lineup is either average or very bad. Okay. They are 20th in pitcher F war, not a very deep rotation either. They gave Garrett Cole a bunch of money. So it's Garrett Cole. Who's doing great. And a bunch of also rands. Okay. If any of you need a cautionary tale for the pay Bobby Witt jr. Movement, the Yankees are it. Because they paid their guy, and now they're like, crap. We'll end this week's episode like we end every episode, with our Just A Bit Outside segment, where we share something that's caught our interest outside the world of baseball. Mike, it's been a while since you and I have actually done this. Tell us about something that will interest me, Mm -hmm. because I just went to a very interesting place. The bar's pretty high, okay? 
Well, it's not going to meet that bar because I'm not talking about some foreign exotic land or anything like that. But it's been something that's been awesome for me, especially at the beginning of football season. It's Fubo TV, right? And so I am not a cable person. Uh, I'm a, you know, we stream everything that we do. And my in-laws got Fubo TV and were nice enough to share their login information with me. And it, it has allowed me to watch Royal every Royals game. It's also allowed me to watch so many other sporting events. Now, the problem is it's crazy expensive. Like, you might as well have cable. It's that expensive. But it's so cool. Like, you can record everything. You can, you know, it's just, it's just very nice to have the access to all those sporting events. So I watched the Mizzou game last weekend. I watched, you know, I watched the Chiefs game with our mother today. You know, it, it's been very, very good to have, especially when it's like, you know, streaming i'm only missing out on really one thing and that's live sports and this covers that for me <laughs> so shout out to fubo you're putting out a good product uh, i know it's an expensive one but you are putting out a heck of a product fubo tv been a savior this fall i just go with the janky streams you know the ones that look like hey yeah i don't like those man these and i can't are, always get these them to are work. super sketch but, you know, I just roll with those. Uh, I'm talking about <laughs> a, a restaurant that uh, I found in uh, España, uh, if you will, uh, Barcelona. Uh, and what's interesting about this restaurant is, one, you should absolutely go there if you ever go to Barcelona. I was in Barcelona for two weeks. Didn't find it till near the end of my thing. What? What? Our- Nobody's going to Spain, okay, man. Here's, here. here's a fun hey, fact. There's this awesome restaurant you should try. By the way, you have to travel across the world to get to it. Okay, here's a fun fact. Uh, Once mentioned on this on this podcast, how much he loves Puerto Rico. I got a, a DM like two weeks later from a from a weekly weirdo who's like, "We just booked our trip to Puerto Rico because you guys said you loved it." Okay, so who knows, right? Like, oh, no shit. Maybe wow. yeah, maybe some of our fans are going to Spain someday. Okay, if you end up in Barcelona, there is a restaurant called El Casal. Okay, that's E L space C A S A L. El Casal. It's down in the, what's it called? La Rambla area. Okay. It's, it's in the, it's in a neighborhood called, uh, La Rambla. And my partner and I had been in, in Spain like for, such a douche. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is, this is the story of how it happened. My partner and I had been there for almost like a week or a week and a half, almost two weeks. When we tried to go to this restaurant one night and it turned out you needed to have a reservation and we couldn't get in or whatever. And so we're like, we're just like wandering around and we'd pass this restaurant a bunch of times and it didn't look hugely popular or anything. It looked like it had a nice little setup, but you know, people, there wasn't a line around the door or anything. Nobody had recommended it to us because we talked to people who'd been to Spain before and everything. But we're like, Hey, we got to check this restaurant out because the menu looked really good. And we're like, so we're like, let's go in there. Like, let's just check it out. Literally the best meal I've ever had in my life. It was incredibly good. It's like French and Spanish food combined in there, like French inspired Spanish food, I guess is how you might call it. I had these like pork short, slow roasted short ribs, insanely good. I had these, these things called potatoes or patatas bravas, which is like a tapas dish that every place serves, but every place does it differently. Theirs were the best. I mean, I could literally just eat those every single day. That's how good they were. But yet, for some reason, we also, at one point on this trip, we ate at a, a restaurant that has two Michelin stars, which doesn't mean much to me, but Riggs says is really important uh, or really fancy or something. 
Um, we ate at that place and it was great. It was probably the second best meal I've ever had in my life. This place was better. And yet nobody knows about it. Like there were nights we, we went in there again one night. It was, it was empty in there. <laughs> it was crazy, right? Like, and I'm like, how is there not a line just around the block for this place? So if you ever get a chance, you're in Barcelona. I just wanted to give a shout out to this restaurant, which we ended up going back because it was so good. We ended up having two amazing meals there. Shout out to El Casal. You guys are doing it right. Um, the wait staff is incredibly friendly. It was just an amazing place. El Casal, go to it in Barcelona if you ever get a chance. <laughs> Don't worry about those interruptions. We will be back again next week, although probably a day late, I think, next week because Mike is traveling next week. Um, back a day late next week to talk to wrap up this Royal season. Until then, be good to each other. And go Royals. <laughs>